Alright. First thing. Last week's... Yeah, that was a good segue Steve talked about with, with where we're at. <laughs> going through Jeremiah. We're going to take just a pause this week to talk a little bit about the environment Jeremiah was, was writing from. Now, last week, Steve covered chapter 2, Jeremiah. Um, so I thought we ought to just have a quick review. One of the things Steve mentioned, he's mentioned several times, is uh, Jeremiah was at the the end of a long reign of kings of Judah. Does anyone know how many kings were there in Judah? Steve talked about it last week. No, I mean kings in Judah. The whole line from, from Saul to Zedekiah. There was, there was about 20. 20. There was about 20. I'll save the candy bar for the next question. Yeah, so, yeah, 20. Yeah, Saul was the first king. Someone say something. Okay, Saul was the first king. Then we had David. Then we had Solomon. And then there was a civil war, and the kingdom split. And there were the north, north leg, the north kings, and they ended up going to Assyria. Uh, the southern leg, the southern tribes were, were Judah. That's what we talk about. We're talking about Judah. So these are the last eight or so kings in that long line of 20. And you remember, and as they're going through these 20 kings, Israel's obedience is going up and down and up and down. And, and when they get to these last few kings, Israel is just in a tailspin of apostasy. And that's, that's where we're at with Jeremiah. Something else Steve talked about. One of my favorite verses in the Bible about being offended. Because in in Jeremiah, yeah, I love when he got onto that. When Jeremiah 2, Steve covered last week, he talked about Israel's disobedience. They they were being offensive. They were falling away. uh, And it's it's a chapter about them backsliding. So Steve talked about people that are offended and and the way to not be offended. I don't know if anyone remembers what he said, but Psalms 119, 165. Great peace have they that love thy law. So loving the word, nothing shall offend you. So if we all love the word this morning, then nothing shall offend us. I just love that verse when he brought that out last week. Another interesting thing, dromedary. I learned something new too last week. Does anyone remember what dromedary, it's in Jeremiah 2... 20, I think it was. He's talking about, you know, Israel backsliding and being like the, the dromedary. Does anyone remember what a dromedary is? It's a camel. It's a camel. All right, get, get somewhere. All right, here you go. I'll be easy. I actually get one for him. Here you go. <laughs> a dromedary is a young female camel. So I made that little note in my Bible. All right, then Steve talked about he's moving. He he announced that they're moving to a new house. Does anyone remember how long he's been in his current house? I know. (laughs) 29 years. So that was pretty cool. Two more days, it'll be 29 years. Okay, cool. So hopefully it'll only be 29 and not 28 with two mortgages. Or or 30 or something. All right, so anyway. All right, that's kind of a review. We did Jeremiah 2 last week. He'll pick up. Jeremiah 3 in a, in a couple weeks. All right. 
what we're going to talk about is what's going on Babylon, surviving Babylon title of the handout, seven lessons on how to live and thrive in a godless culture which is exactly where Jeremiah is and it's exactly where we are today Steve was very uh, wise in choosing Jeremiah because it's it's one of the books that in the Bible that just totally depict what's going on in the USA. You know, we almost had our capital overthrown a few weeks ago. I mean, it's just we're right here. So he drew this uh, this line of the kings a few weeks ago, and I liked it. And what I wanted to kind of do to tie all this stuff together to help us put our Bibles together. These are those last eight or so kings of Judah. Something that we forget about is that our Bibles are not written, they're not in chronological order, our Bibles aren't. They're more of a, they're in a different order, which we won't get into, but they're not in chronological order, but if we were to put them in order, we would see that Isaiah and Micah were prophesying to Judah as they're going downhill and the message of those books is more about you guys are going to get spanked so you better start behaving well they don't and they keep going down yeah. well then these guys, these books here these were all written at the same time these guys all lived in Jerusalem they probably knew each other I mean we don't really think about Jeremiah hanging out with Habakkuk but he probably did Ezekiel, they all they they knew each other. Daniel knew these guys. And their message is a little different. Their message is, you know, we have misbehaved, we're getting ready to get spanked, uh, prepare for it. That's kind of you know, in a nutshell. Um so I just think that's kind of cool to think about. Mm-hmm. That they did know each other. And and it's very common for these guys to quote each other in their books, all through the Bible really. Alright, so get into the handout. This is still kind of a summary, but the Bible really is a tale of of two cities. It's, it's a tale of two kingdoms. Devil's kingdom, God's kingdom, uh, the, the darkness, the light. It's all about the, the two. And there's two cities, and Steve's mentioned this a few times too. God has God's kingdom, we know that, and the devil also has a kingdom, which is the Babylon system. It's the two cities. Jerusalem is God's city. Babylon, from the very beginning, has been the devil city. The, the city that he uses to influence people, governments, philosophies, and things like that. Uh, remember, it was started with Nimrod. We actually covered Babylon in depth somewhat a few months ago when we did the mysteries, the mystery of iniquity, which is Bab- the Babylonian system. Babylon was started by Nimrod and it Tower of Babel all that stuff and the thing is it never really went away the city itself was destroyed but in the book of Revelation 17 and 18 it's finally really destroyed the religious system and the political system that started with Nimrod's Babylon which still exists today and we're actually living in like spiritual Babylon today does that make sense? All right. Uh, I just put some verses on there about the devil's kingdom. We are, you know, we all know the devil's a god of this age. That Luke four six is interesting. That's where Jesus was being tempted, and the devil offered him up the kingdoms that that of the world that he has. 
So he's he's got that. All right, Babel means confusion or disorder. You guys probably knew that, the whole Tower of Babel thing. Babylon the city, located in the Fertile Crescent. You guys remember in history class, um, I remember in history class, listening to the teacher, you know, drone on about the, the Fertile Crescent and the beginning of man and all that kind of stuff. This is the map of the Mideast. That, what he's talking about was true. That is some of the seed of, of, of humans. Mm-hmm. The Fertile Crescent is this area here, the Tigris and Euphrates rivers. All right. Babylon is modern-day Baghdad. Thank you. Oh, yeah. Here. And, uh, <clears throat> so that's the city, the actual city. And that's still a city today. You can go to tour Bab- Babylon today. Um, also, also put on there a couple things that might help you out. This area that Babylon's in, Iraq, modern-day Iraq, in the Bible, it's called several different names. It's called Shinar. You may have heard of Shinar. Uh, the Ur of the Chaldees. You remember Abraham was from Ur of the Chaldees. Uh, then the land of Nimrod. These are all talking about the same area down here. This is where Abraham was from. Just like Steve mentioned, we're to relieve Egypt. We're also to be... The first thing God told Abraham to do is get out of this area. So we got to get out of this. We got to get out of Babylon. Um, Chaldees. I was going to go into the culture. I'm going to skip that. All right. So now the modern day Babylon, the way of thinking. Okay. Even though Babylon, the city, and all this old stuff's gone, uh, like I said, the Babylonian system, the way of thought, the philosophy is still very much alive today. We use it as a code name for the, you know, the ungodly culture that we live in. When we say we live in Babylon, it's it's like a personification of, of the devil's system. It's the world that we live in. You know, we all we all know we talk about that how we're not to be of this world or to be called out from it. This world would be the Babylonian system. Uh, spirit of Babylon is very much alive. And I stuck a little map down there at the bottom. Uh, it's kind of like this map here. Now, so talking about Babylon, uh, Daniel, well, the next page is a bunch of facts. I just kind of cut that out of the, cut and pasted that out of the seven mysteries handout. Just some facts about the city, the actual culture of Babylon. Um, you say you can is it the old city there today you say yeah it's really cool I remember back in the 80's uh, you know Saddam Hussein he, he fancied himself a modern day Nebuchadnezzar so he went he spent a lot of money actually let me go back even further it's always it's interesting to look at history that these dictators like Hitler uh, Charlemagne and some of these other guys they had like a draw to Babylon and Nebuchadnezzar. I was like, I wonder where they get this at. Well, they have a draw to, to resurrect Babylon. Hitler did it. Hitler actually, you see the, the on your handout that the Ishtar Gate, I think I'm on page two or the back of it. That's the Ishtar Gate that Nebuchadnezzar and crew built. Uh, Hitler went down and found that thing and, and dug it up and they've got it up in Berlin. They, and he did that with a lot of... Nebuchadnezzar stuff. 
Saddam Hussein in the 80s, he spent a lot of time, effort, and money to rebuild Babylon. It's about 50 miles south of Baghdad. It's a city. He had a bunch of bricks cast with his name on it, Saddam Hussein, the, the new Nebuchadnezzar. I mean, these guys are they're all about resurrecting he had Babylon. He had, a coin. had a coin. I stuck a picture of it on there. That's him and Nebuchadnezzar that yeah. he had minted. Yeah, it's just it's interesting. All through history, Babylon has just it's got that draw to people, the ungodly folks. Uh, so I'm looking for something interesting in Babylon here. We've talked about a lot of this in class before, but the Hanging Gardens of Babylon, one of the seven wonders of the world, was made there. Uh, religious system, yeah, Babylon's called the mother of all harlots. The religious system still alive today. We'll talk about that maybe some other time. Babylon represents the very last point. Fourteen. That's kind of the key here in Babylon in the Bible. Babylon always represents Satan's city, just like Egypt always represents the world. Babylon represents Satan's city, just as Jerusalem is God's city. So. All right, next page, real quick here. This is kind of a quick baseline here. Who is this King Nebuchadnezzar? I got his picture there. And that's actually Burger King. That's Burger King. <laughs> but uh, I just found him. Hey, that's a funny looking king, so I stuck him on there. That's Burger King. And Nebuchadnezzar, big name. It means Nebo, protect your servant. Well, Nebo is one of the pagan gods of Babylon. So his father named him that. Which his father, to help tie some of this together, his father, Nebuchadnezzar's dad. Okay, remember Jonah. We all know Jonah. He, he goes to the Ninevites. Gives them a message. They repent. They do okay for about 100 years. And then they, they backslide terrible. And then Micah shows up. And Micah says, you Ninevites are going to get spanked. And you're going to be destroyed. And they were, and they were destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar's dad, Neb, this Nabopolassar guy. Which by uh, Nineveh's up here. By when you guys may not care about any of this, it's history. I, I like history, but when when Nebuchadnezzar's daddy took Nineveh, according to Micah, that started the Babylonian. Empire that went on for a long time, hundreds of years. So, his daddy took Nineveh, the empire started growing, little young Nebuchadnezzar, Prince Nebuchadnezzar starts rising to power. And while that's going on, all right, let me get over here. This is my help up here. All these guys are dealing with this Babylon up here that is growing in power, starting with Nebuchadnezzar's daddy, and then it ends up getting passed on to Nebuchadnezzar here toward the end. So the whole, all during the reign of these guys, as Israel's spiraling downhill in apostasy, Babylon is just getting bigger and bigger and bigger and stronger. Mm. And that's why the prophets to these guys are always talking about Babylon's raging outside your gate. You need to pay attention and obey God, and they don't. So, obviously, we're in the same situation here. We have a spiritual Babylon raging outside our gates, 
and we've got to behave and obey God or we're going to be taken you know maybe not our soul but mm-hmm. we'll fall alright so that's that's Nebuchadnezzar he's the king of Babylon he was 50 years or so he's a great guy he thought he was all that interesting point though about halfway down there I put the bullet God calls Nebuchadnezzar my servant mm-hmm. because he was God's tool to, to, to discipline Israel just as today, God uses worldly things, other people, and people that aren't believers, whatever, to discipline us. It's kind of the same thing. So even though he was a bad guy, Nebuchadnezzar, he was still God's servant. So I think that's interesting. Yeah. Um, mentioned many times in our Bible, Nebuchadnezzar is over 100 times. He's a big player. But another fun fact... You know, Nebuchadnezzar's big in the book of Daniel. He's a big guy. He's, he's the king at the time when all this happens. Nebuchadnezzar is the guy that, very prideful, you know, he thinks he's all that and a bag of chips. But he actually, God humbles him, and he's the one that God turned into a, like a beast for seven years, and he was out grazing in the field. Mm-hmm. So after that, he became a believer, Nebuchadnezzar. So we'll probably see him in heaven. Mm. Um, Daniel chapter 4 are the words of Nebuchadnezzar praising God. It's an awesome chapter about just the greatness and glory of God. So he does come around. So, you know, it's never too late for someone you think they can't get saved. Yeah. If Nebuchadnezzar can do it, anyone can. Amen. So he was a good one. All right, so that's Nebuchadnezzar. All right, now, who is Daniel? I got a little picture of Daniel there. All right. I'm thinking the order I want to go through now. I just want to go through this. All right, so who is Daniel? Well, he was a member of the royal family in Jerusalem. Sometimes we forget that. He was a member of Zedekiah's, of this clan here, the, the kings of Judah. He's a young, he's young. That's why I purposely put the picture of the kid here. Jer, Jer, Daniel, I got too much stuff up here. Daniel was only around 13 or 14 years old when Nebuchadnezzar took him hostage, prisoner, to Babylon. He was a young guy. Daniel was only 13 or 14 years old. So he was a teen living in Jerusalem, taken prisoner by the Babylonians. Um, he was an innocent teen, living the dream, I put, you know, I think of Billy Joel, innocent man. Uh, his innocent teen here. He didn't do anything wrong. He probably, he's kind of an innocent bystander, like a lot of us are. When we were born into this world, we hadn't really done anything wrong. We were born into a family that had disobeyed God. And now I'm paying the price for it. And that's exactly what happened to Daniel. He was just born into the king's family. He was an innocent bystander. He was 13 or 14 years old, living the dream. I'm sure he had plans to get married, be a, be a, do whatever he was going to do in life. And when he woke up one day, his environment changed drastically. And he's being marched off to Babylon. Now remember, Jerusalem's way over here. 
it's a four-month trip. It's like seven or eight hundred miles. They follow the rivers to get to Babylon. So they, you know, but when Nebuchadnezzar comes in and takes the city, rounds up the king's family first, and we'll, we'll talk about that in a second. He marches all of them up to the to the river and then back down to Babylon. So you know, there's young young Daniel, thirteen, fourteen years old, and this is happening too. All right. Another thing too, we don't think about. I mean, he. He was a young guy. I'm sure he had dreams and plans just like we do. He, he wakes up living in a foreign land as a hostage. He was uh, emasculated. It doesn't say that specifically or castrated. But he became a member of the king's court as a eunuch. Um, and all eunuchs were castrated. So that's something we don't think about. So he definitely didn't ask for that. Um, so, you know, he just woke up to that new situation, just like we have to. Uh, now, and the, the, that part is, I just talked about it, it's mentioned in Second Kings, Isaiah, back in Second Kings. Back here, back in the book of Isaiah. Whenever Hezekiah and them were like starting their downward spiral, and Hezekiah actually invited the Babylonians in to view the the stuff, and don't have time for that. But mm. Isaiah, God told him then, your your seed will become captives and be eunuchs in the king's court. So Dan, Daniel was prophesied to be happening, and those are some of the verses where it, it happened. It's prophesied. All right, so Daniel spent his entire life in exile. All right, candy bar bonus question. How long were the Israelites captive? It was Judah captive in Babylon. 70 years. All right, Carol, 70 years. They were here 70 years, and uh, Steve's going to get to that in Jeremiah because God clued these guys in on what's going on. Yes. So, 70 years they were right. Now, the whole time Daniel was in Babylon, he spent his entire, the rest of his life in exile. God didn't deliver him. So think about that. Like, we are in this world. Wait, we're not of it? Yeah. When we get saved, God doesn't deliver us from our Babylons and our issues. <laughs> He doesn't deliver us, but he wants to be with us and help us go through them. And that's what the book of Daniel is all about. Rich choked up back here. <laughs> but anyway, that's, so that's, that's the deal with Daniel. Um, yeah, he was with him in the trials. He didn't, he didn't take him out. Oh, another interesting fact. I don't know how I forgot this. Daniel has ended up, he's made king of the Magi. The magicians, the Chaldean magicians, which goes back in the book of Matthew when the when the Magi shows up, knowing when Jesus looking for him because they know when he's going to be born. It's it's because of Daniel's influence. So it's that's a Christmas message, but it's kind of cool. All right, the last point there. So, so wait, back up to that a little bit. So he was over the Magi, the magicians. Yeah, the Persian Magi. Yes. But there's kind of a court of them that maybe those traditions that Daniel taught was passed down. It was passed down. They knew Daniel seventy weeks. The seventy weeks of Daniel tell us to the to the year about Christ and, and when he's going to be cut off, and, and they know how old he's got to be, so they can kind of count back. They knew when he was going to be born. 
So the, the Magi from Matthew, they, they leave Babylon like four or five months before Jesus is born. They finally show up over here in Bethlehem looking for him. Or I think Jerusalem. That's why they were there. They weren't just some guys wandering around. Hey, I hear the Savior's going to be here. They knew because of Daniel and the, and, and the, the 70 weeks and, and all that. So, yeah, Daniel had a, just a huge influence on this time period. So it's, it's an awesome book to go through. Love Daniel. All right, so the last point. There is not a negative thing said about our buddy Daniel. I mean, all the guys in the Bible, all the men and women in the Bible, they always got some fault that God, you know, lets us in on. Not Daniel. He's a he's he's a good guy. So, so now we go to the seven lessons on what did this guy do to help us? Because because Daniel. Daniel lived in this environment physically. He lived in physical Babylon with physical, you know, Nebuchadnezzar and all this stuff. We live in spiritual Babylon. So in chapter 1, but we all know the story of Daniel in the lion's den, Daniel's three friends in the fiery furnace, and all the visions that God gives Daniel. He was more of a man when that stuff happened. Daniel chapter 1, he's still a boy, young teen. So we see Daniel, we see his character building right at the beginning of the book, like what kind of guy this is. And, and what, what I pulled out of that first chapter are seven things that Daniel did to live, to not just live and survive, but to thrive and grow in his obedience and faith to the Lord. What seven things did he do and exhibit? that we can learn from. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. So the first thing, number one, he had the right birth. You know, touched on that already. He was a member of the king's family. Um, you know, you guys have probably heard the story that when Nebuchadnezzar came and attacked Jerusalem, he did it over a period of around six or eight years. Um, and he... You know, we've all seen Lord of the Rings whenever they siege a city and they finally breach it and they come in. Nebuchadnezzar came into Jerusalem three different times and took stuff from Jerusalem. The first time he comes in, he takes the king's family. Get them out of Jerusalem, get them in Babylon and start that whole alliance thing. You know, they used to intermarry with their enemies in order to to bring about peace. But, all right. The very first time Nebuchadnezzar comes in, he takes about 4,000 people hostage. This is, is, we call it the first deportation. That's a word we use a lot. Nebuchadnezzar comes in and he deports 4,000 people of the king's family to Babylon. Daniel's one of them. A year or two later, Nebuchadnezzar comes back takes another group of princes and priests and whatnot. Ezekiel goes out in that one. And then the so but Ezekiel's taken to a POW camp a little further south. But um, the third time Nebuchadnezzar comes, he takes the rest of the old older people, takes people, I don't know, probably workers and slaves and such. So Daniel goes out the first time because he's got the right birth. He's part of the king's family. Um, and actually, what, what we ought to do, 
Let's, let me read chapter 1, because we're going to kind of piece through this chapter here. And if I just read a whole chapter, then we can, just, we can all be on the same page. Yeah, we're going to read a whole chapter, so buckle up. All right. <clears throat> Daniel 1, chapter 1, verse 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, came Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, into, or unto Jerusalem, and he besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with part of the vessels of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar to the house of his God. And he brought the vessels into the treasure of his God. And the king spake, the king Nebuchadnezzar spake unto Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs, that he should bring certain of the children of Israel and of the king's seed and of the princes. He wants children in whom was no blemish, well-favored, skillful in all wisdom, and cunning in knowledge, and understanding science, and such as had the ability in them to stand in the king's palace, and whom they might teach the learning and the tongue of the Chaldeans. So he's very picky in who he wants this first go-round. Verse 5, And the king appointed them a daily provision of the king's meat. And them meaning the, the POWs. The king appointed Daniel, daily provision of the king's meat and of the wine which he drank, so nourishing them three years, that at the end thereof of the three years they might stand before the king. Verse 6, Now among these were of the children of Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, unto whom the prince of the eunuchs gave names, for he gave unto Daniel the name of Belteshazzar, and to Hananiah of Shadrach, and to Mishael of Meshach, and to Azariah of Abednego. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Now God had brought Daniel into favor and tender love with the prince of the eunuchs. And the prince of the eunuchs said unto Daniel, I fear my lord the king who hath pointed your meat and your drink, for why should he see your faces worse liking than the children which are of your sort? Then shall ye make me endanger my head to the king. Well then Daniel said to Melzar, whom the prince of the eunuchs had set over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Prove thy servants, I beseech thee, ten days. And let them give us pulse to eat, water to drink. Then let our countenance be looked upon before thee, and the countenance of the children that eat of the portion of the king's meat. And as thou seest, deal with thy servants. So he consented to them in this matter, and proved them ten days. Verse 15, At the end of the ten days, their countenance appeared fairer and fatter in in flesh than all the children which did eat the portion of the king's meat. Thus Melzar took away the portion of their meat, the king's meat, and the wine that they should drink, and he gave them pulse. As for these four children, God gave them knowledge and skill and all learning and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. Now at the end of the days that the king had said he should bring them in, then the prince of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. It was after the three years. And the king communed with them, and among them all was found none like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore stood they before the king. 
And in all matters of wisdom and understanding that the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers that were in his realm. In verse 21, and Daniel continued, Daniel continued even under the first year of King Cyrus, which takes us up into the book of Ezra, Nehemiah. He continued there. So that's like, it's about another 60 years he continued there. So that's the story. So Daniel, young Daniel and his friends, 4,000 of them actually, are taken captive, taken to Babylon, and he's going to re-educate them. And he's going to assimilate them into the world, the world thinking, the world system. Well, Daniel did not did not allow that to happen. Daniel stood firm. He obeyed God. He did what God wanted him to do. God blessed him. So we're going to look at what did he do. So first was the right birth. We looked at that. Uh, he was part of the king's family. So that's how we ended up there. The second one is the right friends. This is something else Daniel did here. We'll, we'll kind of go through these verses as we go through this. All right, Daniel 1.6 actually lists the friends of Daniel. And I think it's interesting that there's 4,000 or so taken, but God doesn't really tell us about any of those. We only know about these this three these three friends that he hangs out with, which are also like-minded with Daniel. And I put, no lone wolf or secret agent believers. This is a... This is, showing us that in order to live and thrive in Babylon as Daniel did he needed companions and he had them in these three guys these guys were very faithful they, they went into the fiery furnace uh, Daniel didn't but they did uh, we all need the encouragement and accountability and, and sharing our burdens and our joys with, with close friends so the second lesson from Daniel is to to have the right friends in your life. You know, I think AA teaches uh, new playground, new playmates, that type of thing. That's what this is. So Daniel had new playmates here. He had people, he hung out with people that loved God and wanted to do what's right. If he had not, he would have compromised, probably like the other 4,000 did, and we would not have heard anything more of him. So, no lone wolves, secret, secret agent believers. You know, if you, well, have you guys ever worked with people that were believers, but you wish they would just keep their mouth shut because they're doing more damage? Uh, and I, I, that's what I thought of when I wrote that. I know some that are believers. I don't know. Should get off that. But anyway, we don't want, we don't want to be that way. We want to be like Daniel and have good the right friends in our life. Number three, the right name. I really like that verse in the previous one, Jim. That's Proverbs. Yeah, 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 that's, I mean, the Bible's full of, of verses that we need to surround ourselves with the right people. We won't make it if we don't. So, so yeah, it's a, it's a, lot, a lot of good verses about that. All right, so the right name. Now, who names us? Our parents, the ones that created us, name us. Our names usually mean something. I was named after, uh, there was James Stovall, he was, uh, the relative of mine was a veterinarian back in the 1800s. Uh, I don't know if he's a believer or not, but hopefully I'll see him. But we all have names that are special, you know, and, and, and when we become believers, we are now children of God, child of one true king, we're little Christ, we're Christians, God gives us a name also. Well, one of the first things that, that the world system wants to do to us as we're growing up as teens is to change our identity and give us a new name. 
that is not what God intended for us. And I, I did this little chart here, Daniel, and then the new names. You know, they, they start out with good godly names, Daniel and his three friends. Well, Nebuchadnezzar gives them the names on the right that they're all named after gods of Babylon. He's trying to change their identity. You know, it's like when we tell these kids, you know, you're a loser. You're not worth much. We're trying to put labels on them to make them think differently of themselves. We can't, we can't allow that. We can't do that. We can't, we can't allow people to change our identity by giving us a new name. And Daniel didn't either. And I also think it's, like, it's interesting that Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah are the three friends. But the world always teaches us... I don't even know, because I always refer to them as this. Shadrach, Abishak, and Abednego. Those are the Babylonian names. That's not their real name. So I think, to me, that's subtle Babylon just teaching us. You know, this is even their Babylon names. But they're really Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Jim, and, um, uh, and Carol was in the class, too. In Daniel... In HBI, Jeff talked about how God honored them by naming them, like in verse 19, by their uh, Hebrew name. Yeah, he does. God points out their Hebrew name. Yeah, exactly. But we don't. We kind of gravitate to the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So whenever I teach over in Mighty Warriors, I always, or the, wherever I'm teaching kids, I always make sure to point out their real names are Azariah, Hananiah, Mishael, not those others. So anyway, um, so forced assimilation, we have no preference. You know, we, we don't know. People can call us whatever they want. You know, Holy Rollers, Bible Thumpers, we get called all kinds of names. <laughs> we can't let their names label us, change us. Uh, devil wants us to believe we're worthless or whatever, so they'll try to label us that. So, all right, number four, I got to cook. The right testimony. I like the way in verse eight, Daniel just kind he just requested, you know. Basically, they said, "You, Daniel, and your buddies can eat at the king's table. We got all kinds of, you know, bacon wrapped chicken. We got smoked salmon. We got all kinds of good stuff." And he, he kindly requested, no, that's really not what God wants me to do. And he wasn't a jerk about it. Uh, that kind of goes in with that secret agent Christian stuff. But, but he, he was cool about it. He just said, hey, you know, can I not eat the king's stuff and eat what God wanted me to have? And he had a good testimony with the eunuchs. Uh, he was just a, so that, that actually gave him favor later in life. But uh, Because the, the Babylonians didn't like Daniel because he obeyed God. They didn't like God. He was a good guy. So I, I was, the vegetarian diet was a vow that they had made. It was. Uh, as, uh, as Jews. As Jews. As Israelites. Mm-hmm. So, anyway, but he ends up standing before six Babylonian kings and he becomes third in command and all that. Which brings us to our next point the right diet. Yeah, the king's the king's meal would have been all kinds of good stuff, but like Pam said, it wasn't what God wanted them to eat. All right, does anyone know what pulse is? Pulse. Vegetables. It is vegetables. Yes, I'll give you. Actually, I got one left. Actually, I got two. Pulse. That's that's kind of an old English name for veggies, like Pam said. They 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 were to eat veggies. Now, Daniel, as a young boy, thirteen year old, fourteen year old, 
you know, Steve mentioned earlier, they only had like the uh, the first few books of Moses. They may have had uh, some of the Psalms, Proverbs. They didn't have a whole the whole Old Testament yet. They didn't know everything at this point. But he did know some things, and he did know that God gave them the Jews the specific diet to eat, which is. You know, they, they had certain animals they were supposed to eat. They were supposed to be killed a certain way, cooked a certain way. It was it was pretty detailed back in, you know, Leviticus, Exodus, Deuteronomy, and such. So I think it's cool that even as a teen, even though he doesn't know all these great things about the Lord, he does know that I'm not supposed to eat that. So I'm going to ask to not eat that. Well, Daniel, he's talking about physical food, defiling his body, and obviously. We're spiritual now in the New Testament. Um, the Bible is full, and we all we all know this. This is sure repeat for us. The Bible is full of comparisons how the Word of God is to nourish us, our soul. It's it's likened to food in many many ways. Uh, and I put that verse in Jeremiah that Steve will get to eventually about. He found his words. He did eat them. We are to eat the words of God to sustain our soul just as we eat physical food to sustain our bodies. Um, the Bible's very clear with all that. So I put down this little table of some... There's dozens of things that the Bible is, con, is compared to food-wise. And I just put a few on here. So in 1 Peter one twenty three, the blank, it's milk. The Bible's uh, compared to milk. When someone, you know, anybody can drink milk. And babies drink milk. They need milk. They don't have no teeth. So even as a young believer, that does, you know, if you don't know much about anything, you can always get some milk out of the Bible. Uh, Hebrews 5.12, that blank is meat. Once you have enough meat and you grow up and get some teeth, you can eat some meat. And this kind of follows our Discipleship 1, Discipleship 2, HBI you know, progression of from milk to meat. Psalm 119.103 is honey. Many times the word of God is compared to honey. And in John 6.35, Jesus calls himself the bread of life that we all need to partake of. Just like the bread in the old tabernacle. So those are a few things. Now, I, I like the little thing. I got this from Sundal. How do we eat God's word? You know, we eat God's word just like we eat physical food. We eat spiritual food. You know, we chew it. You know, meditating on... I've heard Pam, you talk several times about meditating on verses. I've always thought that was really good, that we need to slow down, just like when we're eating the Bible, when we're reading our scripture, chew it, slow down, read it, meditate on it, take small bites. And we consume it every day. Every day. That's another one on here. You're exactly right. We got to chew it, we take small bites, you know, don't try to read Jeremiah over lunch in one day. It's too much. <laughs> Can't eat a whole pizza at the same time. Eat slowly. Take time with your devotion. Eat it slow. We're supposed to eat our meals slow. Read your Bible slow. Don't rush after eating. Don't put your Bible down and just go off swimming. Forget all about your meditation. You know, just like eating. Eat frequent small meals. Uh, do it every day, just like she said. We're supposed to eat every day. Don't skip a meal. Yes, yeah, never, never want to skip a meal. So anyway, uh, that's kind of about diet, having the right diet. And, uh, you know, I did think of a story when I was thinking about diet. You know, this is the right, the right diet is, is reading our word in the Bible. The wrong diet would be the Babylonian diet that the world offers. 
that's not good for you. So I heard a story one time that, that illustrates this, that this newspaper guy was, was looking for a human interest story, and he's driving around some back road somewhere, and he sees this old codger on the deck, you know, his rocking chair, and uh, the newspaper guy comes up to him and says, hey, you know, uh, can you tell me the secret to long life? And he says, well, for me, it's been, I drink a gallon of whiskey every day, I go clubbing at night, I smoke a pack of cigarettes a day or whatever, and... And the guy, the newspaper guy, well, that's amazing. That's, that's, that's something. Do you mind telling me how old you are? Well, I'm 27. <laughs> you know, and and that's exactly what the world's diet will do to you. You know, we we all know people that have got into that diet, and after a few years, they look mighty old. They, they're weathered. All right. So the next one's the right test. Remember, down in uh, verse 12. Daniel says, I don't want to eat that meat. I don't want to eat the devil's food. But I'm going to eat God's food. I'm going to eat veggies. And then you can come and see how we look after 10 days. And after 10 days, Daniel and his crew looked good. They were, they were healthy. When we make a stand for God, like Daniel's doing here, there will be a test. When you bring your Bible to work, or you start sitting down and you're reading in front of unbelievers, that you're making a stand there's going to be a test. There's going to be some opposition come. Um, so anytime we take a stand for the Lord, it's going to be tested. I don't know if you've ever had friends that are cussing and telling dirty jokes and you ask them to, to kindly not. You're making a stand, and now you're going to, you're going to be tested. You know, and so we've all done that, hopefully. So uh, leads unashamed boldness. You know, doing that is good. Daniel, after his test, he came out much better than, than his buddies. So it's a good thing to, to stand up. Um, the right obedience. This is probably my probably my favorite thing with, with Daniel. The book of Daniel was written by an old Daniel. It's it's like chapter one here is not a diary that Daniel's writing as it's happening or shortly after. Um, it's it's Daniel as an old guy looking back and seeing how God led him and put events in his life and how the stands that Daniel took for the Lord paid off and God protected him. Um, you know, I, I think if if it was a diary, we would have heard about his his terrible journey, maybe the friends he lost, maybe his parents were killed in the in Jerusalem when it was taken, maybe he had a girlfriend he was planning on marrying that never saw her again. I mean, all these things that that we identify with, he doesn't mention. He doesn't mention the castration. He doesn't mention nothing. Because he's looking back as an old man, thinking, okay, this is what God was moving in my life, and this is, this is why. And so he had the right obedience. Now, what I like about Daniel, and I even built, this is, this is a principle. I wished someone could have really explained this to me when I first got saved. So I, I wanted to really take time to explain this. I think most of us are, have been around a while, but maybe not. But there's a principle in our life as believers we all, we, that the more we obey God, the more light and illumination He will put into our lives. 
I didn't understand this when I first got saved. I don't know if Daniel understood it here, but I think he got it eventually, that as he was obedient to God, God gave him more light. So what I did, I built this. I'm going to put it so people at home can see. This is my Obey the Light demonstrator thingamajig. This illustrates a principle of 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 what we of our of our obedience and, and faith. I don't know if that can they see that there? Hey, I'll just yeah, over here. Yeah. Okay, all right. Here's here's the deal. Here's here's what happened with Daniel. And this is what happens with us. And this is why I didn't understand. I understand it now. We all need to understand it. When we're first saved, we all want uh we all want God's hand in our life. We all want God's blessings. We all want to... When I got saved, I wanted to know everything about the Bible. You know, I see these preachers talking about all this cool stuff with Israel and kings, and I didn't know any of it. And I was very frustrated. I want to learn the Bible. I want God's hand in my life. And it takes years. So, here's the principle. is As we're saved... Yeah, is it going to blow up? Everybody's like, what's it going to do? <laughs> as, we get, as we get saved, God comes into our life, lights us, gives us a light, and lights us up. Gives us, we understand a few things when we first get saved. Well, if we're obedient to what we know, don't worry about what you don't know. See, I worried about all the things of the Lord I didn't know. And I in my flesh tried to learn a lot of it but it doesn't work that way we all need to be obedient to what we know so whenever you're first saved and you first come to know Christ and you ask him in your heart and he lights lights you up we all know that we need to go to church I mean that's the first thing I mean everybody knows you need to go to church so as a person, as a young believer someone that's wanting to get right with the Lord as they go to church God will start giving them a little more light well, then I start learning, well, I need to read my Bible every day, like she said. I need to pray. And he starts giving us more light, more illumination. We start seeing God in our life, working in our life. Maybe we see our prayers getting answered. And then as we keep continuing in that path, we keep getting more illumination in our life. God's lighting us up. We're becoming a light to the world now. Other people are seeing it. And we just got to keep obeying Him. And we just keep shining brighter. What we often do is we'll get discouraged. We quit reading. You know, we quit going to church. And that light will go away. And we'll start looking at Babylon more than than God. And we get afraid and we get panicky, all the things going on. So obedience is the key. Obeying what you know to do. God will show you that he'll be a light to your path to show you which way to walk. Because when you don't know where to walk at first, but being obedient to what you do know, he'll show you how to walk. So, that's my little box to demonstrate that. I'm going to use it in the Mighty Warriors one of these days. So. Right, no, no, that's right. I was having a thing of it there. I was sitting in the driveway one day, I thought of that. Alright, so to kind of summarize, those are the seven things Daniel did to allow him to live and thrive in a godless culture. 
It could be work. We, we're all in a lot of godless environments. You know, my my work is that way, and I suspect that all of us are. Families. Some of us had godless, have godless families that aren't believers and do all kinds of stuff that we're in the middle of. So these seven principles will help us thrive in those environments. Daniel did them. We can do them. And then I just kind of put some summaries. The world wants to change us, give us no identity. The, the world has the best filth. The king's table, the best filth there is, the devil has offering up to us. Uh, just different points that you can go through. So, so down there, down there at the bottom, the lessons from Daniel can teach us how to stand up for our faith and remain obedient. Because we are exiles. You know, like Daniel wasn't rescued. We don't leave Babylon until we die. And then we are truly free. So, anyway, that's the first one. Babylon. Any questions? Nope. All right. We're a little early, but that's okay. I had a comment. What's that? On the testing. Yeah. One thing I got out of Daniel's study is when we take a stand against something, we should, in our heart, be like, I'm taking a stand on this. This is where I stand regardless. Yeah. Well, we have to have the testing. Yeah. Because if we're not being tested, we're not really taking a stand. If we're not, if if we have no challenges about whether we believe or don't believe about this, yeah, that's true. Really, it's not really a stand. A stand. Yeah, that's true. That's a good so point. When we take a stand, we need to be in our heart, be like, yeah, bring it on. I mean, yeah, there you go. <laughs> bring it on. Yeah. Uh, and then, yeah. So, Very true. Sometimes we fear being tested. Yeah. But so then your heart is not 100% in that taking a stand. It's just words. Yeah, yep. That's very true. All right, tip me. I'm going to sit down. You can have these. So, there we go. We're going to have a uh, change here. Changing of the guard. <laughs> All right, well, we got just uh, five. Whoops. Oh, what? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I do have a few of the books. I think everybody here might have them. All right. Well, thanks, Jim. That uh, if you didn't if you didn't remember, uh, a month from now we'll do a Babylon part two. Does that sound right, Jim? Yeah. Yeah. We'll uh, maybe get into Revelation or maybe. Uh, so uh, this this today was kind of a two part thing of Babylon and. Uh, I'm not, I'm not 100% positive, but uh, I know Daniel in his book actually writes about Jeremiah a little bit. Yeah. He, he read Jeremiah, so Jeremiah was probably older. And so I don't know if they actually knew each other, but uh, so, so there is some overlap, and uh, it is the same Nebuchadnezzar. And uh, Jim made one comment about how wicked Nebuchadnezzar was, and yet God humbled him and made him like a beast for seven years, and it brought about repentance in his life. And um, I tried, I did a sermon in India when I went to India, uh, because it, it's remarkable to me how wicked Nebuchadnezzar was, and yet he repented. 
And then uh, Ahab is probably one of the most wicked kings that the northern tribes had. Uh, Ahab, you know, he married Jezebel. And it says that he humbled himself and there was a repentance in his life. And then uh, even Manasseh, Manasseh actually went to bondage as well and he he humbled himself and the Lord gave him repentance and so anyway uh, no matter how I, I, I tell our life issues folks there's nobody too bad that can't be saved and there's no one too good that doesn't need to be saved and I, I believe that to, to be true uh, across the board and so uh, that was one comment uh, and I do appreciate our people online uh, I know Dottie joins us every week and so does Carol Novak some of you know Carol but uh, one, one thing funny uh, Karen Parrott is on there and I'll just give all three of those a shout out um, and Michael Mike on there and, and I've never met Karen I think it's uh, Brian's mother yeah. and so I've never met her so uh, Karen, Carol and uh, Dottie thank you for joining us and uh, Jim said Michael's on there from Nigeria so Nigeria uh, they're six hours ahead of us so it's probably four in the afternoon there and so thank you for joining us Michael uh, he's dear to me and uh, he, uh, him and I got connected and uh, we, we helped lead him to the Lord uh, Angie and I on the phone and so Michael we're glad you're with us and I uh, hope you continue with the discipleship I'm emailing him some discipleship lessons he's a 21 year old man in Nigeria so thank you for joining us and uh, Karen had a comment on your handout Jim yeah. you, uh, you always want people to uh, be look at uh, it's first first Peter two two was the milk of the word, not first Peter two three. He was one verse off. No, no, the King James. I think it's first Peter. So it's better in the comments. Yeah. So that was the only. That's good. Seemed like I was thinking of anything else. Is there anything else before we close today? That was just thoughts of mine. Thank you for your comment, Pam, about. Just having a good testimony in the workplace and making a stand and being ready for opposition. Because uh, we, we see that, don't we? Uh, it, when we do step out by faith, we do get opposition. There is re- we're, we're going against the flow. We're, we're like the proverbial salmon that's going upstream. We're always, we're always going against the flow. So Anyway, well, uh, thank you for joining us, uh, Michelle. You and James are near and dear to our hearts, and uh, so thank you for joining us this morning. James, why don't you close in prayer? We're getting ready to close in prayer. I know you're getting ready to sing, and we're ready to follow you and worship the Lord with you. Well, Lord, we love you so much. I, I just thank you for uh, the ready men uh, that are uh, in positions to be able to teach us. And, and, Lord, I'm so glad that we have hearts that are prepared to hear the message and ears that are prepared to receive it, Lord. Um, I just uh, hope that the things that we hear changes, that we don't leave this place the same, uh, and that we don't walk the same through the week, and that when we come back, we've got a, a new story of life to, to tell or to, to, to uh, just draw from, Lord. I thank you for the living water that you've given me. I thank you for the classes that we've got to teach so diligently. Lord, I just ask you, please watch over us and help us and bring us back here safely. Uh, prepare us for service. Love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name. Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Goodbye. Oh, okay.
I'll go ahead and shut this off, Jim. Uh, sorry, boy. I'll go ahead and shut this off.